Welcome to Livewire Radio. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's our Labor Day episode. So you should be relaxing somewhere, maybe with a cool drink, enjoying some well-deserved time off. We are going to be working hard to bring you the next hour or so of radio. We're going to be talking about all kinds of different jobs on this week's show. Of course, my job is to host this radio show, which is sort of a miracle, actually. If you had any idea how rough my first attempt at being a radio host was. Uh, it was something that I talked about on the show a couple of years ago. Um, here's what it sounded like. The story starts when I was about 22 years old and living in Seattle. Uh, back when I just got out of college, I was a low-level producer at the leading conservative AM talk radio station in Seattle. Not to brag. Um, Hot Talk 570. And I went into my boss's office one day and I said, I think I'm ready to host my own show. And he looked at his calendar, which had a huge hole on it, and said, uh, okay, you can do your first try at this Christmas Eve from 6 to 9. And I thought, sweet, prime time. <laughs> so Christmas Eve comes. I'm very nervous. I'm like 21 years old. And it's 6 o'clock, and the music plays. And I have a whole stack of topics that I'm just going to hot talk it up with, going to really get them going in Seattle on this Christmas Eve. And I read the first topic, and I give the phone number, and nobody calls in. <laughs> and then I, I read the next topic, and I look back at the phones, and there are no calls. And I read through all of the topics. <laughs> I've basically used every arrow in my hot talk quiver. And I look up, and it's like 6.03. Now, this is three hours of AM radio on Christmas Eve. There are no guests. I don't have a sidekick. Getting calls is really vital to this being survivable. We got one call the entire night. It was from a very elderly woman named Bernice. And Bernice was the kind of caller that when I was a call screener, I had been trained to make sure does not get on the air under any circumstances. <laughs> She told like a 45-minute story about a Christmas ornament she had once had. <laughs> and at the end of this 45-minute sort of meandering stem winder, I said to her, and I quote, Bernice, can you stick around through the commercial? <laughs> Still got some questions about this ornament situation. <laughs> and she said no. Because even Bernice had better places to be. So I thought my big break was going to be that like a million people were going to listen to this show and that I was going to become this overnight radio success. But my big break was actually that nobody listened to this show. Like nobody heard it. My, my boss didn't hear it. My parents didn't hear it. Bernice, I don't think, heard a lot of the show. That may have been a hearing aid thing, but... What also was a big break for me, I think, was this realization that I had, right, which was that I went out and I hosted this radio show, and it could not have gone worse. I mean, it literally was worse than my worst nightmare about how it was going to go. And I got up the next day, and life went on. Things were fine. And I learned something that has served me throughout my radio career, which is that failure is, in fact, an option. <laughs> so... 
so you know where the bar is for this show for me. If I seem very kind of relaxed and just like happy to be here, it's, it's because, well, number one, I am, and number two, it's not Christmas Eve. I'm not doing this by myself for three hours, and you guys are not Bernice. So this is going to be a hell of a show. So, yeah, that is how I started my radio hosting career. And yet somehow, improbably, I'm still doing it for my job. My name is Luke Burbank, by the way. You are listening to Livewire Radio. This is the Labor Day weekend edition of our show. Super glad to have you along. Hopefully you are uh, somewhere relaxing, maybe with a cool drink, and uh, resting and enjoying the fruits of your labor. Um, next, we're going to talk to somebody who's had a very hard job, and that is NFL quarterback. Joey Harrington was a star at the University of Oregon. He was taken with the third overall pick back in 2002 by the Detroit Lions. He's really seen and done it all when it comes to sports and things that are athletic-related. But we thought it was time for maybe his toughest test, a moderately awkward chat on a public radio show. We sat down with him back in May of 2016. Here's what that sounded like. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. When did you first have the awareness that you were way better at football than the other people you were playing with? Uh, I don't know that I ever really did, to be perfectly honest. Um, I never felt that way in high school. And then I got a college scholarship. Um, I never felt that way in college, really until um, probably our senior year. And it wasn't that I was so much better than everybody. It was that the collection of guys that we had put together really, really worked well together. We were the guys that nobody really, truly wanted on their team. Nobody had those big time you know, schools after them. But for some reason, we just all kind of clicked. And it worked well for, for all of us because... Uh, we won more games our senior class at Oregon than any any class had previously. So there was there was something that went beyond that. And then I got to the NFL and I got my teeth kicked in. So then well, I didn't I, believe I was better than we've. I've got like twenty minutes of just talking about your futility at the pro level. So don't worry. Okay, We're good, get to that. good, good. But you're being humble. But I mean, your senior year of college, you were a phenomenon. You, there was a huge billboard of you in Times Square because you were one of the favorites for the Heisman Trophy. Right. You're obviously everybody on campus knows you. you. Every time you turn on ESPN, you're probably seeing some speculation on how you're going to play in this game or that. What does that do to you as a 22-year-old person? Do you want the honest answer or do you want the... Um, honest answer. It gives you an inflated sense of self. It does. And, and look, I came from a grounded, two-parent, middle-class household. I had everything going for me to say, Hey, look, you know, you're getting a little big for your britches. I'm going to slap you and bring you back down to earth. Like I was grounded. I had everything lined up in my corner. And like you said, I, I still walk through campus and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of cool right now. It's, it's human nature. It comes from not having life experience. It comes from waking up one morning in, in New York City, walking down the street with your dad and seeing a 10-story a billboard of you, kitty corner from Madison Square Garden at the top of Penn Station. The things that I was able to experience before the age of 23, 24 are, are things that most people don't get to experience in a lifetime. And no kid is in a position to be able to completely handle everything that comes from it. 
you're retired now, you're married, you have kids, you, you live a normal adult life. Have you had thoughts about moments in college when you were being big for your britches? Does anything specific come back? Is there anyone you want to apologize to right now? <laughs> I'm just glad that there wasn't, um, you know, the... Internet stuff everywhere. The, the cell phone cameras. Yeah. I mean, God, these guys live in a bubble. I mean, we did stupid stuff. We were college kids who everybody told you how great you were. Now, did I do any really stupid stuff? No. You know, I, I, like I said, I was grounded enough where I didn't cross that line, but uh, we did stupid college stuff. Did you suffer any concussions in college or in the pros? Yes. Um, what does that feel like for uh, people who have not been through it? Oh, boy. The, the best way to describe it, um, when I was with New Orleans, my last year in the NFL, trying to make the team end of a preseason game, I'm on third down, scramble outside the pocket, I can see the first down marker, I dive head first. Linebacker comes in, puts his helmet into mine, and my face goes into the, into the turf. And I opened my eyes and I look up at the trainers who were standing over the top of me. I was like, hey, guys, how'd you get here so fast? And they said, Joey, we've been here for like two and a half minutes. Um, so I, I went through the necessary protocol to, to deal with it. And, and whether through genetics or whether through the fact that I was a quarterback and I didn't have to put my helmet into somebody every single play, um, I feel pretty good right now. I've got, but I've got friends who, who don't who are 36, 37 years old and can't drive at night and can't go out in public. And um, f I was on the phone with one of my friends as he's driving into town to buy feed for his cattle. He lives about 15 minutes outside of Helena in rural Montana. And um, mid-conversation, he stops. I said, buddy, what's going on? He's like, I just pulled into town. I forgot why I'm here. It's like, you're getting, you're getting cattle feed. I mean, what do you mean you forgot? you okay? He says, no, about every day, about two o'clock, I get a headache that puts me down for about three hours. So number one, I'm lucky. Number two, look, football's a violent game. Football is a violent game. And if the, the people who are participating in it have all of the facts, have all of the information that is available to them, and they still make the choice to play, good. Good for them. Fantastic. But if the league that they are playing for hides that information because of a, a fear of losing money, then there's an issue. Um, now, you know what? I, we got to take a quick break, Joey, but I want to ask you a question about that coming back because you've got two young sons. Right. Your wife is a nurse. She is. So this is probably something that has gone through your mind. Are you going to let your kids play? we got to take a quick break. We're talking to Joey Harrington, former Oregon quarterback, former NFL quarterback. This is Livewire Radio from PRI back in a moment. Well, hey there, Livewire podcast listeners. Livewirers? Is that what we were calling you for a hot minute? We hope you've had a great summer. I know it's been a little while since I talked just directly to you, the podcast listeners. But I want to give you a heads up that we have an amazing season coming up this fall. We are taking Livewire on the road. It's going to be crazy. We're going to be in New York City, Chicago, Phoenix, Portland, Seattle, maybe other places I'm forgetting right now. And we're going to have guests like Paul F. Tompkins, Bruce Campbell, Penn Gillette, Nicole Byer, Phoebe Robinson, Jad Abumrod and Robert Krolwich, and my good buddy Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Um, so you do not want to miss these shows. Go to LiveWireRadio.org 
to find out uh, when we will be in a town near you and how you can get tickets. And if that town near you is Seattle, Washington, my hometown, we're actually going to be there this weekend, September 10th. We will be at the Neptune Theater, and we would love for you to come on out and see us make the show. Uh, You can find out about tickets by going to KUOW.org and finding the events page. Um, Also, if you filled out our podcast survey over the summer, we want to say thank you very much. That was extremely useful information for us, and we're going to keep integrating those ideas and suggestions into what we are doing here as a podcast as well as being a radio show. Uh, We're going to have a brand piping hot new Livewire podcast coming your way in just a couple of weeks. So uh, thanks for all your help. Oh, by the way, we could not do this show without you. The radio show couldn't exist without you. Our fine members and this podcast in particular could not exist without you. If you would like to become a member of the League of Extraordinary Listeners, if you're somebody who has been listening to Livewire as a podcast and it brings some amount of joy or entertainment into your life, maybe even comfort, who knows, uh, this would be a great time to go to livewireradio.org. And to join up, 5 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever works for you, we've got some cool stuff that we'll mail you as a thank you, and uh, everybody will win. Thanks to all the people who have become members already, and thanks to all of you who are about to do that right now by going to LiveWireRadio.org. Welcome back to LiveWire Radio from PRI. We're talking to Joey Harrington, former University of Oregon quarterback, former pro quarterback, uh, before the break, we were talking about the, the physical violence that goes on in football. And I'm wondering, uh, are your sons, are you going to let them play football? I'm lucky I don't have to make that decision right now. Um, I get the luxury of reading more and seeing more and personally feeling more. Um, I think if you had to ask me right now, I would say yes. I think there would be... There would be guidelines. There would be certain things that I would need followed. Um, But the biggest thing for me is I am where I am today, not because of football, but I wouldn't be where I am today without football. And I'm not talking about the finances. There's something that you learn when another person puts their face mask in your sternum. And you are laying on the ground and you can't get your breath. And you've got 26 seconds to stand up, collect yourself, because there are 10 other people in that huddle who are waiting for you to do your job. And I'll never forget the, the moment my dad, I, I say, got, the wind knocked out of me when I was sixth grade. And I go to the sideline and I'm, <gasps> and my dad's the coach and he kind of pats me on the back, says, okay, you know, take a deep breath. And then looks at me and says, are you hurt or are you hurting? Because if you're hurt, we're, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to get you to the, the doctor afterwards and, and, you know, that's, we're going to get you taken care of. But if this is a bump, you know, if this is something that you can play through, um, then your teammates need you out there. There's, you can't learn that type of, you, you can't get that type of lesson anywhere else. You, there are very few places where you can get the lesson of fighting through a pain, no matter what it is, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, for the benefit of somebody else. And those lessons that I learned through football, I value, I treasure. Like th- these are some of the, my core values that, um, 
I wouldn't have learned without the game. And so will I let my kids play? If you ask me, yeah, today I'd say yes, but there would definitely be a lot of thought that went went into it. Uh, we're talking to Joey Harrington, uh, former NFL quarterback. This is going to sound like a joke question, and it is not. Okay. What is so hard about playing quarterback in the NFL? What is the it's, thing that no, makes it it's, so it's, hard? It's, it's, not, it's not a joke. I don't take it that way at all. Um, here's the thing. There are 32 NFL teams. There are probably, let's just pick a round number. There are 100 guys out there, whether they are a backup on an NFL team or whether they are someone who's just been cut or somebody who's just retired. There are 100 guys out there who could make every single throw that needs to be made. They can throw an 18-yard comeback. They can throw a 20-yard a dig route. They can throw a, a fade route up the sideline. And, and we're talking about... You know, you want to talk about precision. A quarterback takes a drop, hits his fifth step, lets the ball go, and knows that he's going to drop it in a bucket on the sideline between 43 and 45 yards to a receiver who's going to get there and have it land on his outside shoulder. Like, that is a type of precision that 100 people could go out and do right now. But what happened to me and what happens to the majority of guys who, who struggle is you have a lot of success in college. And then you get to the NFL and you're surrounded by the best of the best. And that throw that you made in college, if you make that throw again in the NFL, it's going to get intercepted. That's just how it happens. That's why so many rookies struggle. And the ones that succeed are the ones who can take that, that failure, that interception, and turn it into a learning experience. What happens to so many guys is they throw that ball and it gets intercepted. And so the next time they throw that ball, because you have to do it again, is there's that singular moment. I mean, we're talking about a nanosecond of hesitation. And the moment you hesitate is the moment that that guy steps in front and picks it off again. Except this time he doesn't pick it off and get tackled. This time he's now so far in front that he picks it off and takes it for a touchdown. So now not only have you given up the ball, but you've given up a touchdown the other direction. So now you feel horrible about throwing that ball and you go back out and you have to throw that ball again. And now you're probably not even going to throw it because you're so scared to make that mistake. And you're going to check it down to a running back who then everybody gets mad at you because they know you're scared to throw it. And your self-confidence just crumbles. So the difference, what's so hard about being an NFL quarterback is it's not physical. It's, it's purely mental. There are, uh, there are so many. I would so make many... the argument that with me, the main problem is physical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a starting point of why I'm not in the NFL. Well, that's baseline. Okay. You know, well, that's a non-starter here. Okay. okay right. right. Okay. But for people like Joey Harrington, it's not the physical side of it. It, it, it's between your ears. It, it really is because I got to the point where I didn't trust myself. Like I didn't, I didn't trust everything that had gotten me to this point to begin with. And, and it's a really odd, or I should say odd, it's an interesting study in, psycholo- in human psychology about how you can truly be, at one point, I was one of the 32 best people in the world at what I did. There was nobody... There was nobody in the world that was be- that's better than the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And then for six years, I was a starting quarterback in the NFL. And then one day, I, I didn't even want to go into the I didn't even want to go into the locker room. 
for a variety of different reasons. So do you understand when there's a, there was a story, a guy who plays for San Francisco a couple seasons ago, young guy, defensive player quit. There was an offensive lineman named John Moffitt recently. Mm-hmm. was a Denver Bronco, quit the team. There seem to be more and more guys stepping out of the NFL when they still have some productive earning years in them. Does that move make sense to you having been in the NFL, or do you at least understand why somebody would do that? I do understand. I think a lot of it is, I don't want to say it's fear-based, but I, I think that a lot of people are scared of what could potentially happen to their brains. You know, a, a lot of guys, the, a lot of the guys you see stepping away are defensive ends, are linebackers, are, are offensive linemen, guys who every single day they're putting their face mask into somebody. I mean, imagine standing with your face against that wall and just slamming your head into it for two and a half hours every single day. That, that is how I get ready for the show. That's, I can tell. There's a big red mark yeah. above your... Yeah. yeah. But that's what, that's what a lot of these guys do. That's essentially what, wow. their, what their job is. So I understand it. Um, I had a couple of goals in the NFL. I mean, my, my goal was never to be an NFL quarterback. I wanted to play in the Rose Bowl. That was my childhood. You know, you're 11 years old playing in the streets. It's, you know, I envisioned being in, in Pasadena, not in, you know, not in Detroit or, or Miami. Um, my goal was to make a nest egg and have enough physical capability to be able to throw the ball with my kids. And I think there's a lot of guys, I mean, I'm, I'm 37 years old and I mean, I don't have I will mention for the radio audience. The man is fit. <laughs> it was not lost on the live wire staff. When Joey Harrington entered the building He's extremely fit. Whatever you're doing, it's working. I stopped eating. <laughs> That's another conversation. Um, and but but I've got I've got physical issues. I mean, I got back issues. I got elbow issues. I got ankle issues. Um, but I can still play catch with my kids, and that's important. And I think a lot of guys are starting to to question quality of life. You know, it, it was it was just a, a bunch of old guys who were complaining. When, when I came into the NFL, when you, you know, saw the guys like, you know, the Dick Buckkiss generation who were, you know, who were trying to, who, you know, had some sort of beef with the league, you know, oh, come on, guys, you're just old and cranky. Well, no, they gave their, they gave their bodies to the league and the league has not taken care of them. And a lot of the players now, th- th- now these stories have come out. These, sto- these stories aren't just kind of the outliers. This is, this is the, this is the norm. This isn't the exception to the rule. And a lot of the young players now are seeing that and they're recognizing that and realizing that they don't want to experience that. Well, maybe that's what you were talking about. It sounds like the, the compromise you've come to in your own mind over this sport that is so violent and so damaging to some people and also gave you your life in a way, the Mm -hmm. compromise that you've made is people should be able to do it as long as they have all of the information and maybe the more of the information they get, the more of them, not all of them, but, but more of them will say, okay, it's time to step away because I still want to be able to function as an adult human past the age of 30. Well, yeah, and that is the, that is the fear of the NFL. I mean, that, that, is the, that is the long-term death of the league. If you, get, if, you get, if you gave all of the correct information to every mother out there in the country and said, hey, here's the potential of what could happen to your son if he continues to play this game for a long time. Hey, sign-ups are tomorrow. Come on, let's play PB football. 
I would say that there's going to be a fair amount of mothers that say no thank you. And if you take away X amount of percentage at age 7, then that grows exponentially from age 7 to age 10 to 14 to 17 into college to graduating in the NFL draft at 21, 22. And now the pool that you have to draw from as an NFL is, has shrunk and your, your TV audience has shrunk. I mean, let, let's not ignore the fact that ESPN, CBS, Fox Sports, um, DirecTV, Comcast, I believe, was in on that. NBC has the Sunday night game. I believe the last TV contract was $7.8 billion. And, and, and my numbers are not by any means fact, but it is a, it is a ballpark there. Yeah. It's a lot of money that these yeah. teams are equally dividing so um, the thought of people not paying attention to football anymore, the thought of people keeping their kids out of football, um, has some pretty serious financial ramifications down the road. All right, Joey, as we've already mentioned, the average time for an NFL quarterback to drop back in the pocket is less than three seconds to get rid of the ball before they are crushed by a defensive lineman. And we will admit it, okay? You are way better at football than we here at the Livewire staff are. You win in that contest. But do you think you will win a contest that we've come up for you? It's a game we're calling Public Radio Blitz. (laughs) All right, Joey, this is how Public Radio Blitz works. Our announcer, Jason Rouse, is going to fire a series of public radio-related questions at you. You will have 2.5 seconds to answer. If you answer correctly, you'll hear this sound. If you answer incorrectly, the entire Livewire staff will tackle you. Sweet. That's awesome. Specifically requested by certain members of the staff. (laughs) Actually, you'll just hear this sound. That means you didn't get it right. Fair. Okay. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. Rouse, are you ready for this? Born ready, Luke. All right. Here we go. This is Public Radio Blitz. Who is the host of the Splendid Table? Oh, um... Too much time. But I want to hear your guess. I know it's on at 3 o'clock on Sundays, okay? Okay. Oh, that's pretty good. That's close, which doesn't get you anywhere in Public Radio Blitz. It's Lynn Rosetto Casper. God, I knew that. It's all right. It's all right. What is the public radio affiliate for Eugene, Oregon? Oh, I wasn't that smart when I was in school. (laughs) It turns out it's KLCC 89.7. Next, next question, public Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. How many, how many of these do we have? 33. We have how many? 33 questions? No, there's, like, yeah. there's like two more. Oh, man. So you mean I'm done already? No, you got no. time. Okay. But you could yeah. make it as a wild card. All right. Uh, just, uh, let's see, try to turn a it around. A losing record has made the playoffs before. That's right. Okay. I remember when the Seahawks beast quaked at the uh, New Orleans Saints. There you go. Jason Rouse, next public radio blitz question. What time of year should you plant dahlias? You plant dahlias in the winter. you got to drop the bulbs in so they come out in the springtime. Oh, it's every public radio listener knows this. It's mid-April through May. What? Yeah. 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 These are just standard basic. Oh. Yeah. Okay, next public radio blitz question, Jason Rouse. Yeah. 
What was the thank you gift at the $100 level during the most recent Oregon Public Broadcasting pledge drive during the 8 o'clock p.m. hour? You know what? I don't have to know that because I'm on the Circle Revolving Membership. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Uh-huh. I think we can give him a Do point. You give we can give him a point for that. For that. That's a point. I, I don't. am a sustaining Circle member. All right. How well, about you got me. Apples? All right. Here we go. That's you got a, me hearing We're so. giving him a point for that. By the way, it was a trick question. It's always a tote bag. Uh, <laughs> just if you're ever playing the game again. All right. Uh, we got three more here. Uh, next uh, question for Public Radio Blitz for Joy Harrington. What does Robert Siegel smell like? Oh, fresh petunias. I'm going to give it to you. That was close enough. It's actually pine trees and wisdom. <laughs> okay, we're giving him a point. We're getting generous here at the end of the game. You do. One uh, more. We got one more, right, Jason Rouse? I think we just got one more. Here we go. Joey Harrington, spell Kai Rizdal. Yeah. <laughs> Time's up. Yeah. It's 801. The news is next. <laughs> You want to give it a shot? We'll go into overtime. Okay. K A I. Uh huh. R. Yes. This is where it gets. H I Z D H A L. Defense. Defense. Was that a cheer you learned in college, or was that how you spelled Kai Rizdal's name? Yeah, I don't know. You started. You started giving me that. You're not even close. You look. were very close for a while. Unfortunately, it's K A I. R-Y-S-S-D-A-L is how you spell Kai Rizdal. But Joey Harrington is pretty good on Public Radio Blitz. Well. That was Joey Harrington right here on Live Wire Radio from PRI. It's our special Labor Day weekend edition of the program. Hi there, my name's Luke Burbank. I'm your host. Next up, we've got a song from the band Joseph. If you have not heard of Joseph, you will very soon because they are really blowing up right now. They're three sisters from Portland, Oregon. They released their latest album last week, which NPR Music says demonstrates, quote, sweetness and power are not mutually exclusive. Uh, this song you're about to hear was recorded at one of our live shows last October, and uh, they've been doing great things since then. We're going to take some of the credit, okay? We're going to assume they got that classic live wire bump. Even if that's not true, I'm going to choose to believe it. All right, take a listen to this from the band Joseph. Give me your body, give me your mind. Wanna cross your borders or wanna take my time? I know the feeling when you're standing beside, and when I face you, my doors open wide.
That was the band Joseph right here on Livewire Radio. Their latest album is I'm Alone, No You're Not, and it's available right now. If you are going to be anywhere near Portland on September 15th, that's a Thursday night, you gotta come see us at the Alberta Rose Theater. We've got Bruce Campbell there from The Evil Dead and a thousand other movies. Also, endurance athlete Colin O'Brady and comedian and storyteller Shannon Balcom will be there. You can find out more and about the rest of our season this fall by going to livewireradio.org. All right, next up, we've got a conversation with Mike Berbiglia. All right, you might know Mike from stand-up comedy stuff or maybe his recurring role on Orange is the New Black or from This American Life where he shows up a lot or even from his film Sleepwalk With Me that he made. Well, he's got a new movie out. It's called Don't Think Twice. It's all about improv. And he came into Portland. It was a week that I happened to be out of town, but thankfully our announcer, Jason Rouse, was there and got a chance to sit down with Mike and talk about improv and the tyranny of the movie rating system, among other things. You're going to love this. Take a listen to our chat with Mike Berbiglia. Thank you very much. In a special studio session. This is a little something different. That's what my dad always says. My dad always goes, that's a little different. Which is his way of saying, I don't like that. <laughs> the film is called Don't Think Twice. That's right. It's a fantastic film. I Thanks. really enjoyed it. I want you to maybe give us a little bit better description because I don't want to give too much away. Oh, yeah, sure. It's, about, sort of a group, it's about a group of best friends in an improv group where someone gets an opportunity or a couple people get an opportunity to audition for a Saturday Night Live type of show and called Weekend Live. Yeah. And the rest of them don't. And it's about sort of what happens in friendships when someone has a chance at a big success and then the other people don't. It's a lot about jealousy, you know, and, and it's a comedy. Uh, I always have and the failure, really. And it's, failure. It really charts yeah. the destruction of this tightly knit group of friends. And, and actually, the theater that they perform in throughout the course of the movie just is slowly, yeah. piece by piece, dismantled. It lost its lease. I mean, it, that, that's something that happens at the beginning of the film, is they lose their lease, and it's... I, and I didn't mean for this to be uh, prophetic, but it was being replaced by a Trump building. Uh, this is... I wrote this before this whole debacle occurred. Um, at, right before we shot it, Gillian Jacobs goes... Because we have this whole thing where we find out the news and we do kind of Trump impressions in the movie. Gillian Jacobs came up to me a couple of days before. She goes, Mike, this is really weird. Like, I think that the, the, this is last summer. She goes, I think the Trump candidacy thing, like, it might be real. Like, it, I, maybe it's not a joke. And I go, silly actors with their wild ideas. Um, and then here we are. Buckle up, everybody. I want to do a little groundwork. The film as I mentioned, is about an improv troupe in New York City. Can you explain a little bit first about what improv is, long-form <laughs> improv? Because there's um, some people out there who of aren't course. sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, improv um, is, a, is a theatrical art form that was invented in the 50s and 60s in Chicago and San Francisco and eventually moved to Los Angeles and St. Louis and New York and now is, uh, I would say, ubiquitous in America. There are when I got out of college in 2000, I was looking at places to move that would have improv theaters. Um, and I saw, there, it seemed like there was maybe 20 or 25 that I could find. And now, when I, when I cast out a line asking if anyone wanted to do these free improv workshops that our improv coach 
uh, from the movie, Liz Allen and I decided we were going to tour the country and do that. We got 120 theaters that submitted. Wow. Yeah, isn't that wild? That's a lot. So it's it's just this massive art form, and it's a it's an art form based on a, a theater that is imp- improvised and has the ability to be um, a disaster uh, or amazing. And I think that's what's fun about it. It has the ability. I think it's Paul Sills who says in this. There's this great oral history of, of Second City called so "There's Something Wonderful Right Away," and one of the things I think Paul Sills says is on any given night as an improviser, you have the ability to create the best performed, best written, most topical piece of theater that night in the world. It's a thrilling art form. The movie, as you mentioned, is, to some of the characters, is about making it. Certainly to the yeah. character you play, Miles, he's sort of wrapped up in the idea of, of making it. Um, do you feel like you've made it now that you're sitting here talking to me? <laughs> As I, as I pulled aside that curtain yeah. moments ago, yeah. and uh, and walked onto the stage in mm-hmm. front of these assembled twenty three people, yeah. I thought, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is it. This is yeah. this is uh, what Sinatra always talks about. No, yeah. it's it's uh, no sure. I, I I feel like I made it in the sense that uh, I get to to make these things and and if and and I make I I'm, I've created control over you know in the last few years I've made three one person shows and two feature films and and I and I'm I don't answer to sort of a, a studio or a network and and so I feel extremely lucky that people show up to these things enough that I'm able to do them. You know, improv is notoriously difficult to recount to someone who yes, wasn't it there. Yes, nearly impossible. Nearly impossible. It never seems as funny, obviously. Yes. How did you approach the idea of filming improv scenes in the movie? Or, or even, and to, to build on what you're saying, like it's even retold, it's terrible. It's like explaining your dreams. Um, and then worse than that, it's, uh, <laughs> which now that I'm thinking about it, it's like I've made two movies about things that you can't explain. <laughs> I made my first movie about my dreams and my second movie about some great improv shows. Um, I got to write that down. Uh, I like the, the single worst things to say in a conversation I made two movies about. Um, but, you know, it comes down to the photography with my cinematographer, Joe Anderson, my production designer, Scott Cusio. We really tried to create um, a feeling... Um, of what it was like to be in this group of improvisers. So we shot it with Steadicam, and it's all, it's from the perspective of this, like the seventh member of the improv group, essentially. So we feel like we're on stage as opposed to from the perspective of the audience in like a static shot, which is how theater is typically filmed. And, and so we wanted to, uh, we wanted to make it feel like even if it's not funny, it doesn't matter. If it's not funny to you, humor is subjective. And so you, if, you, if, you make, if you make humor into part of the plot points of the movie, like, it succeeds, you know, then you're a little bit painting yourself into a corner because the audience could go, well, I don't think that's funny. And then, so our whole objective was to, even if you don't think it's funny, you go, oh, the, this is what it's like to have these be my friends. Do you think improv, as you mentioned, as an art form, makes it easier to remain in an okay ongoing 
you know, situation with kind of a nowhere group? Like, does the yes and principle allow people to tread water creatively, maybe a little longer than they should? I do think that that's a lot of what I was thinking about when I wrote this. I think that there's, you know, in New York and Chicago and L.A., and I'm, I'm sure in Portland as well, although I don't know the scene as well, is you see these people, and they're so talented at improv, and they're almost too good. Yeah. Because they're so good at creating something in a moment that disappears that I think part of them thinks, like, why sit down and write? Why would I? I can, like, in other words, I can create something that's a B plus every day without trying. So why would I try to write something that maybe is an A minus? Like, who cares? Hey, it's Luke popping back in. Sorry to hit pause on this whole thing, but we have to take a short break. Don't worry. There is much more of our conversation with our announcer, Jason Rouse, and Mike Birbiglia coming up in just a minute. Stay where you are. Livewire is brought to you in part by Ergo Depot, advocates of active living and makers of the Jarvis, the best height adjustable standing desk out there. How do I know? because I use one when I'm on stage recording Livewire. And it is amazing. All kinds of uh, bells and whistles. You can set different heights that work for you. It will remember them. It's just an amazing little device. Plus, there are tons and tons of independent reviews online you can read from people who love their Jarvis. Embrace your inner child and do not feel like you have to sit still. Movement is a basic human need, like air or water. Here's the thing, though, if you have an active lifestyle, you know part of it probably includes being at work. we got to pay for that active lifestyle somehow, right? So this is the thing. Just because you're at work doesn't mean your inner child has to sit still. You can experience a new way of living that allows you to fully be in your body and do your best work. Find out more by going over to ergodepot.com. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI, Public Radio International. My name is Luke Burbank. I am your host. It is our Labor Day episode, okay? So while all of you out there in Radioland are taking the long weekend, enjoying yourselves, relaxing, we're working hard bringing you this public radio variety. Let's be honest, though. I didn't work that hard on this segment because actually it was an interview conducted by our fine announcer, Mr. Jason Rouse. It's a conversation with comedian Mike Berbiglia, and they sat down in Portland recently to talk about Mike's new film, don't think twice. Let's go back to that interview. Did you use improv at all in putting this together? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote, I wrote probably 12 or 13 drafts of the screenplay. And, uh, and I would have these readings at my house. You know, I would have uh, writers and actors come over and I'd print out a bunch of scripts and, uh, and we'd read it out loud and then we'd eat pizza. And I would say the script might be bad. But the pizza yeah. will be phenomenal, sure. and you'll be glad you came. And, and, and they always were. Like, it was always really, really fun. And, um, and over the course of the time, you know, that, the script was what attracted, you know, Gillian Jacobs and Keegan-Michael Key and Kate Micucci. And so the script was definitely there. But then once you get those people in a room, you really want what's in their heart. You know, you want the most authentic version of how they can say it. So I'd say, I always, as a director, I always just say, I always just say, you know, say the line or whatever, whatever feels right. You know, because what you want is, or at least what I want, when you look at Altman or you look at a movie like Once that I love or a movie like The Trip, I just like it to feel like life. 
I just like movies that feel like life and, and, and not like movies. And so I, that was always the goal. And yeah, there's some great, some great improvised moments in the film. There's great, you know, like we would do, a lot of times we do silent takes. We would just do the whole scene sure. with no dialogue, just, just so that we could have that and have that as an option in the edit. And there's definitely some moments in, that, in the movie where it's just we did a silent version of something and it kind of says, says what it needs to say. Chris Gethard has a line in the movie that, that made me really laugh and then made me really sad. Um, it's, your 20s are all about hope and your 30s are all about realizing how dumb it was to hope. <laughs> well, yeah, that's... Uh, was there a question at the end of that? Or no, just I just wanted to say that. Say it, yeah. I just want to say that. No, is that something that you, that you encountered yourself? To an extent. I mean, that's certainly from the perspective of that character. Um, but I, my, my personal experience is in my 20s, I feel like all my friends and I all had the same goals, like the exact same goal. We all wanted to write for Conan or write for The Daily Show or write for SNL. And then you realize in your 30s that that, that may not happen. And in our case, with our friends, it happened for none of us, that, that thing. But then you realize that your goals evolve in life and that you don't all have to, you know, you and your friends all, don't all have to get the same thing and that, and that maybe you don't want that same thing. You know, that, that I feel like there's an American understanding of, of success that's always perpetuated in, in TV, which is that success is this one thing. That success is basically visibility or exposure. And I think that you realize when you're in your 30s or maybe in your 40s that success is not that. That success is actually connecting with people and helping people and, and contributing in some way. I mean, that, like I was saying about Paul Sills, he always said, like, you can create, the, with improv, you can create these shows for, that are the best theater in the world and the most affecting theater in the world. And uh, that can be for 30 people or 100 people or... 23 people in a uh, coffee shop slash concert venue. What is this place? Um, but you know who said it really well recently is Angela Duckworth. She wrote an essay in the New York Times that really stuck with me where she said if she were giving a commencement speech at, in colleges, she would say, don't think about what you want to be when you grow up. Think about the world that you want to live in and how you can help make that happen. I think as performers, a lot of times we think that our profession is narcissistic. And in some ways it is, but in some ways it's, it, it has a tremendous opportunity to affect people. I mean, people can walk in the door and feel hopeless and feel sad and feel like they're not going to laugh in their day because there's so many depressing things that occur uh, constantly in, in this country and in the world. And if you can make those people laugh, it is a service. I agree. I agree. You can clap at that. To have a legitimate film in this country, you have to have it pushed through the MPAA That's and have right. it rated. And oh, your movie, great. Your fil- your movie. This hot topic. Yeah, is rated. What did what rating did you get, Mike? Rated R. I so this in... is a rated. This is a restricted. Yes. Or a restricted, a restricted film. film. You were in a what? You were in an airport somewhere, and you tweeted. Well, it's just I. I just wrote. Simply, Suicide Squad has machine gun killings and bombings and got a PG-13 rating. Don't Think Twice gets an R because adults smoke pot. Confusing? (laughs) 
And I just, and it, and it, you know, it went really wide, not because of the support for Don't Think Twice necessarily, but just because I think people are a little sick of this. Like, I think we're a little, I mean, I had to say, like, I, this came, this just came up, I was on morning TV yesterday in Denver, it's like, good morning Denver, or whatever the show is. No offense, whatever show it was I was on. Um, but it was their version of that, and, uh, and they were a nice hosts. They were funny and they were cool. And but they were they were they would, a moment before they were they showed a junket interview they'd done with Will Smith and some of the cast for Suicide Squad. And they showed a clip of it, and it was I'm pretty sure I got to see it again, but I'm pretty sure it was just like someone with a machine gun mowing down, killing all these people. And then at the end of it, they go. Um, they, came, they threw back to us, and they go, that's in theaters this weekend. It's PG-13, which is what they have to say. They have to say what the rating is. And then they go, Mike's movie, uh, Mike Rubiglia is right with us. Uh, don't think twice. It's uh, out this weekend. It's rated R, blah, blah. And I'm just going, I can't believe I just witnessed this massive act of violence on the screen. And they say it's PG-13. It means you can bring your 13... You can just know a 13-year-old child can just go yeah. and watch yeah. this mass shooting... And my movie, which just has adults smoking pot, hurting no one, yeah. and maybe cursing a couple times casually, but not in a, yeah. a, a gratuitous way by any stretch. Yeah. And, and 13 through 18-year-olds or 17-year-olds can't go to that? I mean, it's just yeah. so upside down. And then Judd Apatow tweeted yeah. at, at that yeah. something similar. Yeah, he tweeted, studios own the ratings board, violence sells so they make pot and sex, the scary thing so that they seem caring. And it's true. And it's true. And the rest of your movies will now be rated oh, NC-17. You're NC done. NC-17. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking maybe they rated it R because I am shirtless in the movie. <laughs> and America can't handle that. Yeah, it was a... There, there are tough moments in the movie, but... Like people, like some it. parents, some yeah. parents show up at the box office and they complain. They're like... I was watching this with my teenager, and then Mike Berbiglia was shirtless. And they're like, I'm so sorry, ma'am. And they throw their money back at them. You're a bold filmmaker. You make bold choices, and I like that. Don't Think Twice is your new movie. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you. This is Mike Berbiglia, everybody. I appreciate it, This was so fun. Take care. And thank you, guys. Mike Berbiglia. His new film is Don't Think Twice. I just saw it with my wife the other day. It was really good. You should definitely check that out. Uh, thanks to our announcer, Jason Rouse, for sitting down with Mike and conducting that informative and interesting conversation. I could probably take a few notes as the actual host of the show. That's just about it for our special Labor Day edition of the show. Thank you so much for listening. We've got a bunch of shows coming up all over the country this fall, and I wanted to tell you when and where that would be happening. Uh, we'll be in Seattle on September 10th, Phoenix on the 22nd of September, New York City on October 21st and 22nd, and we're going to do a bunch of shows in Portland. We're even coming to Chicago this fall. If you want to find out more information about where we will be and how you can get tickets, you can go to livewireradio.org for more information. Let me assure you, if you have not been in the studio audience for the recording of a public radio variety show, you, my friend have not lived. All right, this show was uh, made possible, of course, by the guests who showed up, thanks to them, Joey Harrington, Mike Berbiglia, and the band Joseph. 
Financially, the show is made possible by our awesome sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Extra special thanks to our announcer, Jason Rouse, this week. He also writes for us. Molly Pettit is our technical director. House sound by D. Neil Blake, thanks to Revival Drum Shop. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom, and our operations manager is the wonderful Lauren Masterson. Big thanks this week to our special members of the Livewire League of Extraordinary Listeners, Lynn Pham and Jeff Parnaby. Additional funding for the show from the Meyer Memorial Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. For more information about Livewire or how you can become a member, visit livewireradio.org. And of course, you can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. PRI Public Radio International.